week's episode is brought to you by Support the Mountain's Herbal Parasite Cleanse. This formula targets the small and large intestinal tracts and larvae, the most broad-spectrum formula available today. 100% organic, formulated by Dr. Mikio Sanki, author of the Esoteric Acupuncture Series. For 10% off your first bottle, visit shopyogahub.com and use the coupon code CLEANSE at checkout. Hello and welcome to YHTV's nominated show, Magical Medical Tour. This is episode 99. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Dr. Woolman. Greetings, Christina. <laughs> <laughs> A fantabulous day to you. Uh, wonderful. Spring is in the air, I think, huh? Oh, it sure is. <laughs> it sure is. That's why I'm bouncing. I uh, feel like that bunny that hasn't left Easter yet. <laughs> <laughs> what what bunny is that? You know, those bunnies that are hopping around, you know, I just don't go underground. I just have to stay. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. It's not that one with the battery in it that's continuously running. Not that bunny, huh? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> not battery, though. No, <laughs> it's solar powered <laughs> uh, perfect greetings everybody welcome to magical medical tour i'm dr glenn wallman i will be your medical guide today along with christina as we travel through yet another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy this week exploring ways to achieve optimal health mm-hmm. and today uh, we're going to be uh, the title of our show is integrating medicines we're going to be speaking with shiroko sokich dr Sokic, who is uh, a practicing physician and has also taken on and become board certified in acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine. So we're going to look at what integrating medicines is about. But before we do, Christina. Mm-hmm. One you of have, my favorite topics. You know that, Glenn, right? <laughs> I know. Me too. It's, well, I think with, with what we're doing here, we're helping to change the world. We want to Uh, let people know out there that a lot of physicians are taking on integrative practices and how they're working. And the more that we do these kind of shows and have this opportunity to speak with practicing physicians that are doing this and learning about them, uh, it will bring the knowledge to people that are looking for specific types of doctors and also for the doctors that watch the show Mm -hmm. and the other healers that watch the show to to, uh, bring knowledge to them and make them more insightful into the whole process. Hopefully at one point, you know, my goal at one point is to stop calling it alternative medicine, complementary medicine, integrative medicine, or what I call it combinatorial medicine. At one point, I'm hoping it's just going to be called medicine. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. would be very nice. You want to tell people how to get in touch with us? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, So anytime during this show, feel free to ask a question, make a comment, simply scroll down on your screen and type it into the comment box. And of course, remember to click submit. Or if you're listening to it on your iPod or your wonderful device, all these devices these days, um, you can give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. And be sure to let me know who it, uh, who the guest is or who the comment or question is for. And we will be sure to get it to, you know, our guest or Dr. Woolman. And uh, also be sure to leave your contact information, please, so that we can relay the message back to you. Thank you, Glenn. You're welcome, Christina. You know, I want to add to that. We always talk about that. And we love the we love the comments and the questions. They're always good for mm. us. But one of the other things that we can use this for that I would like to offer to people is if anybody is a practicing healer out there that feels like what they do is magical so that it could be on magical medical tour, we would love to know about these people. If you are one of these practicing healers, or if you go to a practicing healer that uh, you think should be on the show, please let us know that. And also, If you've had, every once in a while, you know that we interview people that have had magical experiences. So it's not just the healers. Sometimes it's the people being healed. So if you've gone through uh, a magical experience with your group of healers uh, with some specific condition or injury that you would think that others could learn from, 
we'd like to have you use this uh, form to get to us also. And that's all I have to say about that. Thank you. Thank you. I totally agree with you. So call us. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> yes, definitely. So at this point, I would like to introduce Shiroko Sokic, Dr. Sokic, who practices, as I said, uh, medicine and has taken on uh, and received her boards as a diplomat in acupuncture. And we want to talk about the whole process and, and how her patients work with her, and she works with her patients and with other physicians. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Shiroko Sokic. Greetings. Hi. Hello, Shiroko. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you for having me. <sighs> so the way I like to do this, Shiroko, is as the medical guide, I like to give an indication of where we might be going. And I just alluded to that for a few minutes. Um, we first want to find out a little bit about you, things that got you interested in medicine, and, and then moving into combining and integrating your medical practice. And then we want to actually talk about what the practice is like, how it looks to you and how it looks to others, your peers and uh, your patients. And then we want to possibly talk about some examples of uh, how you treat specific things that are different than our normal Western colleagues. How's that sound to you? Awesome. I'm ready. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. You look ready. You definitely look ready. I want to balance so? too, but my chair is not really. <laughs> Christina, can you bounce for? Oh, absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's infectious. It's okay. Yes, it is. Do you have some other thing that you could do for us? Uh, <laughs> Other than bouncing? <laughs> What's that? Me? Other than bouncing? Yes, since you can't I bounce. Tend wiggle, I tend to wiggle my feet, but you can't see that right now. So. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how we'll know that. Unless we put a, a foot cam. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that would be entertaining for some people. <laughs> In Excellent. future shows, future shows, yeah. Len. <laughs> I think we'll have to start talking to Segovia about a foot camp. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get to work here. Uh, first, we want to find out a little bit about you. We always like to find the heart and soul of our healers and practitioners. So tell us a little bit about what interested you in medicine. When did it happen? What were your influences? And how did you get into going in? to the practice of medicine and leave out the acupuncture part for a few minutes. Let's just talk about that first part. Okay. Well, it all started when I was five. Um, five. My great yeah. <laughs> five. I started at nine. I thought I was a, a late bloomer. I guess I was. <laughs> no, you were still an early bloomer, really. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but when, uh, when I was five, my great grandmother died and she was that, she was a person that was very close to me and she took care of me when I was, when my mom was at work and she was the person who gave me lots of TLC and love. And so, and, and when she died, uh, I wasn't allowed to go to the hospital or when she got sick, I wasn't allowed to go to the hospital. So I didn't know what was happening. And the day that my mom came and told me, she told me that my great grandmother's heart had stopped beating and that I would never see her again. And that was, uh, devastating to me. And what happened was immediately my mind went to finding a solution to the problem. My problem was that she was dead and I didn't know what that meant, but I wanted her back. And so I started actually imagining what it would mean to make her heart start again. Mm. And, uh, basically from then I was interested in medicine and you know, I had nobody in my family who was a doctor. I had nobody who really even had an education. My mom went to college, or my mom finished high school, actually, when I was 11. And then she went to college and went on to get her master's degree in social work. But when I was small, there was, she wasn't in school. Mm. And uh, so finding my way through all of, you know, to get to college and to, to, you know, complete college was a journey in and of itself. But one of the things when I was little, I 
believed in herbs and I had an interest in herbs. And actually as a teenager, I had a vegetable garden and I grew herbs in the garden and I tried to understand their medicinal qualities. So I always thought that I would do some form of natural medicine until I got into medical school. And then in medical school, uh, in the emergency room, I actually had my first experience of saving a life. And it was so exciting and so, I mean, it was life-changing in that moment. And, and I decided I wanted to be a surgeon because it was, even though it was in the emergency room, we took the patient to surgery and we saved his life there. So that's how I got into surgery residency from wanting to be an herbalist. <laughs> you know, that's really interesting. When we talk with a lot of other people, I love hearing the beginning parts that influence and having your own garden and using your imagination and thinking about herbal remedies and natural healing. It's interesting the way that all plays into the whole process as we move forward, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, and, and certainly saving a life, uh, that has to be, you know, mind altering and life changing. I know that was one of the great experiences about working in an emergency department. Uh, we got to do that many times. Uh, and, and it was different from being in the operating room because the person, usually when you're operating on them, they're asleep. So there's something different about it from somebody who comes in awake and then potentially dies and then they come back there's very fascinating moments in a person's life and i think it influences all the people that work in medicine that go through that kind of experience so you're in medicine now and you're you graduate and you get your degree and you're practicing medicine in an emergency department and you're still thinking about natural medicine and herbs things like that what brought you? Go ahead. Yeah. It's not quite what happened. I was in surgery residency. Right. Oh, okay. I was in residency, and um, a lot of things happened in my soon. Pretty much, you know, I dreamed of becoming a doctor, and I feel like from the moment that I became a doctor, it was kind of like I achieved my lifetime goal, and I hadn't really seen past that. And so there were a lot of life events that were difficult. uh, And um, I sort of reached my first midlife crisis at age 26. Perfect time for a midlife crisis. (laughs) (laughs) And and there were lots of things that happened in the hospital too. It was, it was the hospital where only one woman had ever graduated from the surgical residency. And the first day that I was there, they told me no woman has ever graduated. (gasps) from this residency. So I'm, I'm scrubbing out my first case and they're telling me no woman has ever made it through. Um, basically wow. not expecting me to make it through. So um, there were those sorts of things. And then there were the things that, you know, in taking care of patients. So the excitement of saving a life is one thing, but then what happens after that? And as I worked with people and, you know, did my daily job as a resident, I encountered people that one, we could not diagnose and we didn't have any answers for their problems. And I think the biggest thing, because I feel like uh, part of my, and I don't know where this came from, but I hate pain. I I hate physical pain. I hate emotional pain. I just hate pain. That's so odd. (laughs) (laughs) You're so different. (laughs) I saw so many people in so much pain and, and there wasn't really anything that worked that well. I mean, the drugs that we gave them knocked them out, but it didn't really stop pain. And in particular, when I worked on the burn unit, I experienced a lot of that. And um, now in much hindsight, I realize that I'm empathic. And so not only do I hate pain, I also feel other people's pain. And so that probably affected me at the time. But anyway, a bunch of things culminated in me deciding to take a month off during my, from my residency so that I could evaluate my life. And there were things that happened to me during that time. And I uh, got really, really sick. And I 
just woke up one day knowing that I was not going to be a surgeon, that being a surgeon was not right for me. And I didn't know what else to do. And so I began a search. And, you know, I decided I was offered a position at the family practice residency at UCSF, but my ego wasn't quite ready to go there um, from, from where I was as a surgeon. And so I decided to do emergency medicine until I figured out what I wanted to do. And then literally, I don't, I got a book about Chinese medicine. Somebody told me about acupuncture. I'd never heard of it. And I read it. It was the web that has no weaver. And I fell in love. I just fell in love. It was for me, all of a sudden, I felt like I had the answers that I didn't know the answers to before. It felt like the mysteries of what was happening to the patients that I took care of, the problems that we were unable to solve. It was like the Chinese medicine had the was able to fill in the gaps because it had a flow and a rhythm that that I hadn't learned as a physician. So you know, then I decided to go to acupuncture school. <laughs> uh, there's so many things that are related here. When I first uh, started in in my specialty, uh, before I went into emergency medicine, it wasn't even really a specialty then, and I decided to do a surgical residency also because I thought that would prepare me well. And my chief resident was a woman when I first started my practice. And then later on, when I got into uh, a lot more integrative medicine, I met uh, Ted Kupchak, who wrote that book. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so that was quite a, an interesting experience yeah. also. So that's surprising to me that you had never heard of acupuncture before that. But uh, be that as it may, you started to get interested in it, and it seemed to fit into a bigger picture of where you came from originally. Is that how that happened? I think so. You know, when I was in surgery residency, I completely forgot about my roots of wanting to do natural medicine. And sometimes I thought about it a little bit and I thought, wow, I've come a, a long way from where I started, you know, wanting to be an herbal healer sort of doctor. I mean, this was at a time when most doctors didn't do these things. And um, so, um, yeah, when I, when I started learning about acupuncture, I thought, oh, okay, here I am. I'm coming back around to that part of myself. I wonder what uh, kept you from going, say, into naturopathy or homeopathy also, rather than traditional Asian or traditional Chinese medicine. I got offered a position at the naturopathic school in Oregon. Mm -hmm. And when I was young, so another thing that happened to me when I was a teenager, I had irritable bowel syndrome mm -hmm. and the doctor tried to give me Librium. Uh, I was nice. like, 15, wow. and they tried to give me Librium and, and that was their way of treating it. And not knowing anything, I knew that that was crazy. And <laughs> like, and my mom was always against medication, so she supported me in not taking that medication. And, um, you know, I started to feel like whatever was happening in medicine, even though I had no experience, I had already judged it as not being very effective because I'd had this problem with my digestion and, and, and I had also had a knee problem and they, they gave me the first Motrin you know, when Motrin first came out and that only gave me a stomach ache. It didn't fix my knee. <laughs> no. And so, so I had my own personal medical experiences that made me decide that something about how medicine was done didn't work. And I wanted to change something in the system. So I didn't want to go to naturopathic school because I wanted to change things from within. I don't, you know, I've been in private practice for more than 20 years now. And I haven't, I haven't really gotten involved in any of the politics of medicine. And I don't know if I ever will. So my only changing of medicine has been from me practicing differently. Do you work in a hospital at all? Do you ever admit patients? No, not anymore. Okay. Yeah, because I was going to ask you, uh, 
about both aspects. So you're practicing. It took, you know, tell me a little bit about your training for acupuncture first. What did you go through? Did you go through the a traditional Asian medicine program or did you go through a Western medicine program for acupuncture? I went through traditional Chinese medical school in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And every semester that I was in school, I was asking myself, what am I doing in school? I mean, I've been in school for I don't know how many years already. I've been in school for 23 years by then. And then I'm going to school again for another three-year round. But every semester, I would do this little self-examination where I'd go, what am I doing? Why am I studying? You know, and then something would happen either in the emergency room, because by then I was working in the emergency room, and something would happen to one of my patients, or it would happen in my own body where I would feel something that, that showed me that I would need to continue studying. So it was kind of like life was kind of gently prodding me, keep going, keep going, keep going. So I finally, I did actually finish the whole three years of school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's uh, very interesting for me. We have so many parts in common uh, that I love. I love hearing this and the way you were influenced when you were starting to break out into Eastern medicine. I'm sure, you had to work with other colleagues. What was your process in working with other colleagues? Um, I'm talking about in the Western world first. Uh, how did they feel about what you were doing? Were you able to influence them in any way, or were they trying to talk you out of it? Anything like that? Well, my friends, my friends asked me if it was like voodoo. And <laughs> if, if asked you what? I'm sorry, I didn't understand. If it was like voodoo, and oh, could okay. you stick a needle in someone else and have them feel better? So that was their overall attitude toward it. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, that could be tough as an empath if you're, feel, <laughs> if you're feeling someone's pain while you're putting a needle in them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, for the most part, you know, I would talk to, you know, in the early part when I was still studying, you know, it was fun to be working in the emergency room because I had so many people that I could measure their pulse and you had uh. to. You had to measure pulses a lot in order to get good at that, you know. And sure. uh, um, most of the people just thought it was some crazy thing that I was doing, and they didn't really say much about it. But after I finished school and I moved to California and I was working in the emergency room, there was uh, one doctor who actually ended up going to do the acupuncture program with the Joe Helms. And so there were a few people who were affected in a positive way by what I did. Hmm. And did then you when ever, I go ahead. I'm sorry. Did you ever talk to people? I mean, use start using your Chinese influence uh, on people in the emergency department for some people that you feel like they would be helped by some other things, giving them advice in other directions. Hmm. Well, I did. Um, and towards the end, it was really because I was in practice at the last, uh, let's say I started my office in 93 and I quit ER in 96. And so the last three years, I had a really hard time telling people to take a drug when there was a natural way to do what would help them or giving them an end, you know, because sometimes their blood tests wouldn't show anything, but I would know what was wrong with them based on Chinese medicine. So I would tell them that. And um, I think in my last ER job, I, I tried to give somebody echinacea. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and they asked me they asked me not to tell people alternative advice in the emergency room. They meaning? The staff, the, the physicians, the, my boss, basically. I want to talk about living in two worlds. You practice both aspects of medicine now. Uh, you have a, a center that you've developed heart to heart. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that at the center, you practice Western medicine and traditional Asian medicine. Is that correct? Yeah. So when you're doing this now, uh, you mentioned pulse before. So mm-hmm. when I when I feel a person's pulse, and by the way, at, at one point in my life, I actually uh, taught. I was a professor at uh, 
the uh, College of Oriental Medicine in Santa Barbara. So I taught uh, there, and I had a lot of interesting interactions with the acupuncture students and traditional Asian medicine students. So before I want to talk about the the aspects of both, I found sometimes that just like I felt and talked to my Western colleagues and they thought possibly it was all voodoo, what what happened when you spoke to your Eastern colleagues? How did they feel about Western medicine? Well, funny, I also taught at my school. <laughs> we do have so much in common. That so we much- are the same person here, I think. <laughs> Uh, different ends of the state, yeah. Um, yeah, I taught anatomy and Western medicine at my school. Huh. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So, so how uh, about how about the uh, acupuncturists? How did they feel about Western medicine? You know, for the most part, they were respectful of Western medicine, and um, they they were happy. So, one of the things. And it is a little bit, you know, and, and I actually kind of felt this way myself. There's this court, you know, you can take a course as a physician that's only about 500 hours of, um, of, of uh, acupuncture and of acupuncture. Yeah. Right. And, um, actually I think the Helms course is only 300 hours of wow. training. But so, you know, having gone to three years of school or now where most, uh, certified acupuncturists go to four years of school and get a master's degree. Um, so there was a lot of question. What, was I qualified to do what I was doing? And did I know enough Chinese medicine? So they were relieved when I said I'd actually gone to acupuncture school. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of acupuncturists now are practicing a little bit functional medicine in a similar way where they're doing some of the functional medicine testing and and diagnosing with that and using a blend of that sort of alternative Western medicine with the Chinese medicine. Mm. So we have a lot in common. Yeah. In our, uh, in one of our episodes, episode 57, I think April 23rd in 2013, we did an interview with Wei Wang. He's an integrative internist. He he practices internal medicine, and he also practices traditional Asian medicine. And he does uh, a real combination of both, where he does a lot of the typical Western testing, but he also does a lot of Eastern testing. And then his treatments are also balanced and varied. So I recommend people maybe wanting to go back and listen to that episode mm-hmm. after after this one. So now you're you're starting your practice and you're taking care of people. You have your MD degree and you, and you're a diplomat of, uh, acupuncture. When you see somebody and they come in with a complaint, the first part, are you looking for things from a Western point of view or an Eastern point of view? Are you doing both at the same time? Well, usually they come in with a Western diagnosis or a, a, a set of symptoms that has not been able to be diagnosed in Western medicine. Mm-hmm. And really, this is where I love Chinese medicine so much because the answers is, you know, Western medicine to me is like these big blocks of knowledge where, you know, each organ and, and each specialty has blocks of understanding and knowledge. But I don't know that science has caught up with everything that we can know about the human body. And what's so cool about Chinese medicine is that it's about energy and a flow. And there's this whole body of knowledge and thousands of years of experience that can explain what's happening to somebody. So when I first talk to somebody, I use the Chinese medicine as the foundation for how I look at them. And then I take and when I examine them and ask them questions, I, of course, they tell me all that they've already learned from Western medicine, but um, it's the Chinese medicine questions that help me understand them better. You know, an example how of something eat? like that. Well, in an initial visit, I ask them, you know, all of what they want to tell me. So they'll explain their history. They'll tell me what's going on with their body. They'll, and sometimes it's funny, you know, a lot of people come in and they'll tell me the main thing that they're concerned about, but not that they have hypertension or high cholesterol or diabetes. 
you know, I, I figured that out by looking at their list of medications. <laughs> right. Right. And and so we'll have a conversation about what is happening to their bodies, and then I'll do the traditional, you know, what's their past medical history, what's their family history, what medications do they take, and I always ask people to bring their supplements because there's a couple things. One is I look at what quality of supplements they take and what what they're taking because sometimes they'll be taking stuff from Costco and it'll have all this long list of chemical. <laughs> chemicals mm-hmm. that have been added to their supplements and you know if you're trying to get healthy you don't really want to be taking extra chemicals even in your vitamins so and then i'll go through the chinese medical history which is diet exercise how they sleep how they feel in their body what makes it what makes them stressed do a whole long intake and the exam is both Chinese and Western medicine, and then I give them feedback about what I see. And the way I look at everything is first Chinese medicine, so feeling their pulse and looking at their tongue gives me the foundation of what I feel is going on with them. Let's say uh, somebody who has chronic digestive or chronic abdominal pain, you know, like um, GERD symptoms, you know, heartburn and things like that. But let's say that it's their liver that I feel out of balance. From a Chinese point, you mean? From a Chinese point of view. So then that will guide how I use Western medicine. So what, what I find in their pulse will guide what I do with them from the Western perspective. If I found that it was their spleen pulse, which is their digestion, that was out of balance, then I would do specific tests to figure out, did they have food allergies? Do they have an infection in their digestive tract? You know, what is the problem that's, that's causing this imbalance? If it was their liver that was out of balance, then I would look for, some, for tests that would help me understand why their liver was doing that. So I use Western medicine as an adjunct to Chinese medicine to help me understand what's happening. And then so I we- guide my treatment accordingly. Uh, yeah, we want to talk about treatments, but I want to stay still in the diagnosis. Of course, for people uh, mm. that watch our show, uh, they know a lot about pulses. But in Western medicine, we look at a pulse and we're measuring the rate and the rhythm and we're measuring the strength and the force mm-hmm. of the pulse. In Chinese medicine, what do you have, 20-something pulses uh, and descriptions like a slippery pulse and things like that, that give you a lot more information from a different point of view. When you're taking the pulse, do you take all both ways? Well, the Western pulse really is only how fast it is, which you can get in a few, (laughs) in 10 seconds. (laughs) So, um, or you can get it from your blood pressure machine now. (laughs) Right, that's true. (laughs) I was in the emergency room as a patient, about seven years ago in Dallas, and I, they didn't even touch me. Oh, they, they, the doctor didn't even examine me. And I thought, you know, like now with the testing and the things like that, they didn't even have to touch me to, to figure out what was wrong with me. They were busy so, writing the electronic record. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> writing? I don't think well, so. It's typing. typing. Oh, it's yeah. typing. <laughs> or dictating, yeah. Dictating, right. <laughs> no hands on. So actually, what one of the wonderful things about learning acupuncture was really learning how to touch a person and to feel what was going on with them and feeling the pulse is, is such mm-hmm. an important part. And I think probably even if I'm 100 years old and I've been doing this for 50 years, I won't, I won't be perfect at reading the pulse because there's so much to it. There's, you know, all the elements and what it feels like and 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 how it moves and how it flows and so really i can just feel when it's in balance or not in balance and then figure out which element is out of balance and then based on all of the information that i've gathered i figure out what's what i need to do you know you know this brings up a question for me uh you mentioned you alluded to the blood pressure machine We can hook people up now and we can tell about their pulse and pulse oximetry and their blood pressure and Mm. a number of other vital signs. Do you foresee in some future where they will be able to hook someone up and be able to measure a pulse through a Chinese 
viewpoint and look at all of the aspects that you were speaking of? Maybe that's already happening. You know, do you know about the German energetics and the, some of the machinery that they've created? Yes. Ball machines, and then they're more sophisticated and where they measure the tips of your fingers for the electrical energy. Are you familiar with that? I'm familiar with a few different machines. I think we, well, we Wong, I think, uses one of those type of machines. And also we had another doctor. Who is the doctor that we interviewed? Christina hmm. uh, back east who did the electrical and you did the libido. Talks with her. Tony Bark. Tony Bark. Tony Bark. Right. Oh. I think Tony Bark. Yeah, I, I know who know. she is, yeah. <laughs> you, you did, so you do know her. Or you've heard I of don't hers. know her personally, but I know who she is, yeah. So, so that might be one of the machines that she speaks about. Might Interesting. Do you, do you see a difference in patients? Uh, patients that just want to go to Western doctors or patients that uh, want to go to someone like you that looks at things from a different, more holistic point of view? Do you see a difference in the way patients react in the way they, say, take their medications or their herbals or how they work within the treatment? Well, since I don't do conventional Western medicine, I mean, I can, and the ones that come to me, come to me because they want to. Um, I'm sure there's a difference um, because like I have several patients whose husbands absolutely will not do alternative medicine. And so they tell me how their husbands behave. But as <laughs> from what I hear about them, they, they are very dedicated to what their doctors tell them and they'll follow their doctor's advice and they'll, you know, stick to it pretty, how do you say, religiously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do have, I, I do have one man. He's very, very sweet. He had heart disease about 10 years ago and he's been on a low fat diet ever since. And then he got prostate cancer. And so then they, they dealt with his hormones and, I think they radiated his prostate and then he got Parkinson's Oh no! and, and the Parkinson's and he's been very successful helping himself with his heart disease by following the diet that the doctors put him on. And of course he has no hormones at, because of the prostate cancer. And then he comes in with Parkinson's and what he needs in order to get better from the Parkinson's is he needs some fat. And he needs to change, so he needs to change his diet to help his Parkinson's and he needs hormones in order to help his Parkinson's. And so, you know, it almost seems like he got the Parkinson's because of the treatment for the other two things. Cause he mm -hmm. eats no fat and he, you know, and so when I told him, you know, he, that he needed to eat more fat and that I wanted him to have some hormones and I gave him an herb that's called Macuna purians, which will help raise dopamine. Mm -hmm. but its side effect is that it helps raise testosterone too. So he can't really take it because of his prostate. Right. It's right. like I was between a rock and a hard place and he is really dedicated to whatever his Western doctors told him to do. Mm -hmm. And so I, I haven't fought that. All I've done is give him acupuncture and, and tried to convince him to take just a little bit more fat in his diet so that it would help his brain. Mm -hmm. But, um, so I, I'm not sure I answered your question. I think you did. Uh, okay. I'm wondering, though, you brought up something else. I'm wondering, Christina, you would be able to answer this, whether we should ever consider doing a show on wives telling about their husband's behavior. <laughs> that would be a great panel discussion, I do believe. <laughs> That'd be your harem time. <laughs> I don't know if, who I'd want on the panel, all the wives or the husbands. I know. <laughs> You'd want both. <laughs> You'd want both, uh, exactly. Then it'd be like good... Jerry Springer. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> right, well, but I but you know, we... I have heard, I have heard also um, from some some men whose wives are very dedicated to the holistic uh, medicine and basically the balance of the two um, that th they almost feel, for some reason, that that the holistic medicine or the all alternatives, however people would like to say that, the herbal side of medicine, is too much work. Whereas when they go to a Western doctor, it's that pill that they get, and it's easy. I, I set this up in my little pill box, and that's all I'm taking. Whereas with 
the more Eastern medicine, it is about changing your diet, you know, changing your way of life, changing habits that you have. It's too much work for them. And, and so hence the, the whole cycle of, of breakdown, <laughs> as we would call it. How do you right. deal with and, that, Shiroko? Uh, you know, I deal with wherever a person is when they come to me. So I have a lot of clients who just don't want to take any pills whatsoever. I mean, they're averse to taking medications, but they're also averse to taking herbs and supplements. Mm. So I use acupuncture. And um, I have one lady in particular, she had asthma and she was taking Advair and she wanted to get off of it. And she, it's funny, she does take a few supplements, but it was just, she didn't want to take any pills, not, no pills of any sort. So I just gave, gave her acupuncture and she is off the Advair and she's no longer having problems with her asthma at all. But that was successful for her and she didn't have to take a ton of things. You know, there's such a wide spectrum of what it takes to be well and everything has its value. So even in Western medicine, you know, the people who just, you know, I love that there was a Dilbert cartoon um, mm -hmm. at some time in the newspaper and there was this whole thing about going to the doctor and being sick and the options. And at the end, it says, just give me a pill, you quack. <laughs> don't like don't try to heal me and you know we do there's some people that they just have a resistance to getting truly healthy and and you got to respect whatever somebody wants to do you know but those people don't come to me the people that come to me they want to get healthy you know they want me to help them and and it's what i love to do and so i encourage those people to you know to stay with me. And then I work with wherever they are. So if they don't want to change their diet, we'll work with, make one change, make one little change, you know, like if they skip breakfast then have breakfast, you know, or, mm -hmm. you know, because you don't have to just jump into something and just go from zero to 900 in one minute. You, you can go slowly and build and build your health over time. And, you know, really having gone from, being a, a young doctor who ate cookies at the vending machine, you know, <laughs> because I didn't have time for lunch and then would pass out on the stairwell because my blood sugar had gotten so low and I didn't know anything about blood sugar. You know, I can understand learning how to eat and how to be healthy and how to go through time because I had to learn over time myself, you know. So does that answer your question? <laughs> uh, you know, there everything is relative. Yeah, I I, I want to ask you about uh, specific, and I like the way you, that uh, you bring it into the the concept of medications and herbals. Some people think that I don't ever want to take medication; I just want to take herbals, and those are sometimes medication also because for certain problems, if you have a simple acute problem, you may only have to take something for a certain amount of time, but. On the other hand, if you have a chronic problem, you may be taking these same herbal medications for the rest of your life. Uh, so it's always interesting to me to see the way people look at health um, and how sometimes people are more active and want to be proactive in staying healthy or uh, getting even healthier. Other people don't want to even deal with health until they get sick or injured. And so that's always been a fascinating part to me. And to see the people that go more for holistic points of view that are, as Christina brought up, willing to uh, participate. I think that's a big part of Western medicine. You don't really have to participate as much as you do in other types of medicine. I do want to ask you, when we talk about uh, Western medicine and science and the doctors that practice it, it's all, uh, a lot of it has to do with the studies that we do. We want to, for the safety of our patients, we want to make sure that this drug has gone through drug testing. And so then there's all sorts of different types of tests, double blind, placebo controlled, prospective meta-analysis with random crossovers, and a number of things that 
give us a lot of information. I'm wondering if within acupuncture and traditional Asian medicine, there are any tests like that being done? And do you know of any tests that are now being done where they're combining medicines, uh, Western medicine, say, with certain diseases, say heart disease? Um, and are there tests being done with it? with acupuncture and traditional Asian medicine and Western medicine? Long question, but for a good answer. <laughs> well, I just got back from the American Academy of Medical Acupuncture Conference um, oh. in Denver, and uh, there it was really, I loved the balance that was addressed because there was science and there was spiritual and both, and it was the theme was body, mind, and spirit. So there was a lot, a little bit of everything. Um, there is a, a fair amount of research actually. There are people at Harvard and Stanford who are certified acupuncture MDs um, doing research and running clinics using acupuncture. Um, the VA now has doctors who do acupuncture. I know three doctors who are um, at the VA practicing acupuncture on the vets. Um, they're uh, using it for PTSD, and they're doing some studies on PTSD and using certain acupuncture points to help the soldiers recover from their PTSD. Um, there, you know, there were poster boards at the event where people had been doing their own studies and they were uh, demonstrating them. So there was one guy from China who had done a study on tinnitus. And tinnitus is really difficult to treat with acupuncture. I was really excited to see it. And you he want had, to explain tinnitus first before we go on? Sure. Tinnitus is ringing in the ears. Okay. And it's a painful, difficult problem for the people who have it. And it's hard to treat with anything, and it's also hard to treat with acupuncture. So this guy had created uh, a study and done plain acupuncture, sort of in the traditional Chinese manner, and then he had done electroacupuncture, and he found some a method that works. I'm going to try it next time I get somebody. Um, and there was a woman who's actually in San Francisco, and she'd done a study on hypertension and acupuncture, and the results of, uh, of using acupuncture to change people's blood pressure. And so there's lots of research going on both in, you know, private clinical practices. This woman's in a private practice, um, in huge hospitals. And, uh, so there's that. And then were you asking about using double-blind placebo control? Because I believe that you can prove anything that you want in the world of taking drugs and giving drugs. And so one of my problems with, with all of the double-blind placebo, first of all, the FDA approves drugs before they know whether they're any good or not. And, you know, they're often there's a good number of them that end up having to be recalled because of terrible side effects or because they're not doing what they were promised to do. And second of all, sometimes it seems that the drug companies run our lives rather than real science. And the drug companies have an interest in us taking medications for the rest of our lives. So I want to caveat the whole double-blind thing by saying that. All right. Well, I've... That would be an interesting topic to talk about, get get uh, the FDA on one of our programs and have a debate with them about whether or not, you know, I, I know. the next 60 minutes. <laughs> uh, are we ready for that, Christina? Let's Segovia? go for it. <laughs> uh, that'll be interesting. So let's, let's talk about um, drugs and diseases. What kind of diseases drugs, acupuncture, traditional Asian medicine, and diseases. What, what diseases that we see commonly in this country do you feel people would benefit from more of a holistic approach than strictly a Western or strictly uh, an Asian medicine approach? I think any complicated... So what you said at the very beginning about... Um, you know, not being alternative medicine. I think mm -hmm. 
any complicated illness, anything that takes a person down, you know, a cancer, for example. Um, and it's becoming pretty accepted that a person who has cancer is going to use some alternative methods. And there are integrative cancer clinics now all over the place. And they use acupuncture. And there's actually mentioning studies. There's a study on on, you know, the side effects of chemo using acupuncture to alleviate them and that showing it to be effective. Um, if you have any kind of disease like HIV or hep C or um, some of the more chronic, chronic Lyme disease, those are illnesses that are severe and chronic and they take a long time to heal and healing is a difficult proposition for those things. And using herbs and alternative medicine in conjunction with whatever other treatment they're doing can help a person do much better and help them thrive rather than decline when they're taking medications. You know, even um, hypertension or heart disease where, uh, where there's already a lot of uh, diet and and nutritional advice integrated into the conventional medical treatments. I had a lady uh, that I took care of uh, a couple years ago. She had congestive heart failure that was idiopathic and she was on a ton of medications and she was having a hard time breathing and I did acupuncture for her and it helped her heal. And her, when she first started her ejection fraction, which is the amount of blood that was pumping through her heart was at 30%. And, uh, a year later, her ejection fraction was at 60%. Wow, doubled. Yeah, it doubled using acupuncture. And that was not something that was prescribed for her. You know, it was just that she already knew me when this happened and this started working with me. Just so, um, that people, just so that people know, when we use the term in medicine, idiopathic, it usually means that we're not quite sure why it's what the cause is. Right, yeah. It just happens with a without us knowing the cause. And that goes back to, uh, we still have a lot more, as you said, to learn about the science of things so that we no longer call things idiopathic at right. some point and we have reasons yeah. for them. Do you, do you ever have times where you don't want to use acupuncture or you don't want to use herbs or they're contraindicated? Are there any instances or indications to not use them? Well, I don't use acupuncture during the first trimester of pregnancy except to uh, help with nausea. Um, and you just avoid specific uh, acupuncture points that would right. uh, affect the uterus and uterine contractions and things like that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, of course, if somebody's afraid of needles, then I'm not going to use acupuncture. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and I, you know, there are a lot of times that I don't necessarily want to give somebody herbs. Like, let's say I have somebody who comes in and they are taking 10 medications. I'm not going to give them herbs on top of that, you know, um, because I just, you know, it's like there's so many possible side effects already ongoing and they're, they're taking one medication and then another medication to alleviate those side effects and all of that stuff. And and if I can help them get off of medication, then I might do that, but I'm not going to add in something else I see. to, to, you know what I mean? Um, so yes. it, I feel like it's contraindicated to take herbs on top of a bunch of medications. When I, um, go yeah. ahead. No, go no. ahead. Um, and I'm trying to think. You know, and with chemo, you know, some of my patients that are having chemo, their doctors will tell them, don't take vitamins, don't take supplements, you know, da, 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 da. And I want to respect whoever they're working with. So again, in those instances, I will only give them herbs that are specifically been proven not to counteract chemotherapy. You know, like my talkie mushrooms seem to augment chemotherapy, uh, Melatonin seems to augment chemotherapy. And so there are certain things like that. And I'll respect whatever else their doctors tell them, even though there's not really a lot of scientific evidence to show that helping the immune system 
hurts chemo. Right. In fact, yeah. there's there's papers on both ends. You can look at the antioxidant part of medications, and uh, a lot of the chemo uh, people yeah. came out and said antioxidants are not good, but then in another number came out that said they don't hurt, and another number came out that said they're actually fine. Uh, and I'm very happy, especially being a medical guide, uh, where I work with a lot of cancer patients, knowing that there are these uh, cancer treatment centers that are now looking at combining things. I know that some of my clients, uh, while they're getting their chemotherapy, they also might be getting a, a doses of certain types of herb, herbs and vitamins along with everything else. In my, in my looking at um, acupuncture and traditional Asian medicine, I see the, the areas that come up most are about pain, about nausea, about the immune system. Uh, mm -hmm. Are those the areas that you feel uh, a lot of the work is being done in? Are there other areas that we need to know about? You mean in terms of how, how does acupuncture work? Right, right. What other things do they add to the program when somebody is receiving acupuncture from you? They're sometimes receiving it for pain, sometimes nausea, sometimes boosting the immune system. What other things do you uh, I think it helps hormones a lot, ah, you know, okay. a hormonal balance. Um, you can use acupuncture and herbs. And then, of course, I, I move into bioidentical hormone replacement, too. Mm. But um, people who have hormonal imbalance in Chinese medicine, a lot of times women with very severe problems with their periods, I've had huge success. I've had, I've had women who came in with ovarian cysts and fibroids who have been saved from surgery by having acupuncture. Um, I have, uh, before, you know, before you go on, are you, yeah. are they, is the cyst or the fibroid disappearing or is it the symptoms that come from it get relieved? Uh, or do you know? Both. Both. There, really? there are, there was one woman who this has been years since I saw her, but she came in with an ovarian cyst and it disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was pretty big. It was, a, you know, a couple inches and they were going to do surgery and she didn't want surgery. So, cause she'd already had a lot of abdominal surgery and it disappeared. And I'm not saying it's in my hands, you know, like, cause all the years that I've tried to do so many things to help people, um, sometimes what I intend happens and sometimes what I intend doesn't happen, you know, like, um, but so I've had people have their ovarian cysts disappear. Uh, and as far as fibroids go, I've had them shrink, but I've not had them go completely away. And mm -hmm. always the symptoms go away. So that's the, the main thing. And, you know, a lot of the women who come to me with fibroids, their fibroids are usually pretty big by the time they come. True. So I'm not, you know, I've not done... I've not worked on women who have little tiny fibroids to see if they disappear, you know, with the acupuncture. Mm. Um, so, so hormonal problems and then emotional things like depression or anxiety or uh, uh, fatigue, which well, it's not entirely emotional or that can be physical too, but, um, and then PTSD. Uh, I, I've developed a series of acupuncture treatments for PTSD so that, you know, whatever, like a lot of people come and say, you know, I've never been able to go forward from here. And so I do a series of treatments and then they're able to move forward from that experience. Um, That's good to hear all of this mm -hmm. information. I know that uh, a lot of our listeners that have some of these things um, may be wanting to do more research. We're speaking with uh, Dr. Shiroko Sokich. Uh, and our title today is Integrating Medicines. We've learned quite a bit from you today about combining the two types of medicine. And now we're coming to the end of our show, and we'd like to know if you would offer a health tip for our viewers. Well, um, so one of the things that I really love to do is to help people learn to understand their own bodies. And I think that's the really blessing of Chinese medicine is to learn to listen and to understand your own body. And so my health tip is to, to begin to listen to your body. And people don't even, they, like somebody said to me, well, I didn't even know that that was an issue that I had. It was like, what do you mean listen to my body? Well, 
you know, it's normal to know when you're hungry. And mm -hmm. there are actually people who don't know when they're hungry. And it's normal to possibly know that you're sleepy. And to, but, but to listen to your body when it's going through something. And so one of the things is lots of people don't eat breakfast or they'll skip a meal every day. And, and my advice is usually not to skip meals because it can make your blood sugar really unstable. Um, so my, my health tip is for people to experiment with changing one little habit that they have every single day. And to see how they feel when they change that. Because you can't really know how you feel until you begin to experiment to see what things feel like. So for those people who skip breakfast, to try eating breakfast. And do it for a week to see what does that feel like. And to see how they feel by 11 o'clock in the morning. And this oh. is, you know, mostly people who are really busy are the ones who don't tune into their bodies very often and they're the ones who skip meals and so this would be a, a, a tip that might make their whole life feel better very nice Love i wonder tip. yeah i wonder if in preparing for this show today there was anything that you really wanted to get out to people that we didn't cover you know i think um one, so I don't know if this is something that I really wanted to get out, but what comes to mind is that I think that in medicine, we were taught to be detached. And I remember on the very first day that we were told, you know, like, don't get involved with your patients. Don't, you know, don't get invested. And I remember being a surgery resident, and I remember this woman who was given a terrible diagnosis. Mm when she came in expecting to have a very simple problem, she came in expecting to have a cyst on her pancreas about to be pancreatic cancer. Yeah. And the doctor came in and told her she had a 10 minute surgery instead of a, you know, two hour surgery. And so she woke up quickly. And when he walked in to tell her he was cold, basically he gave her a death sentence in yeah. one moment. And he cared a lot. I knew that because he was, a but he didn't show her how much he cared. And not that he had to break down in tears, but that he had to sit with her and help her grip, come to grips with this diagnosis. And it was one of the turning points in my surgery career where I was like, whoa, you know, we've got to be able to do something different. I call my business to heart because I commit to my patient's healing. And, and I think that all of medicine, would, if we were allowed to really express are caring and to commit and to invest in each and every one of our clients. So uh, that's, I think, my message. That's a beautiful message. Mm -hmm. I'm very grateful to our special guest, Dr. Shiroko Sokic, for sharing her wisdom and expertise and her journey with us today. A lot of very interesting things that we learned. I'd also like to thank uh, my healers and my teachers for allowing me on my journey to be where I am today. Thank you yeah. to Yoga Hub and Christina and Segovia for putting on this wonderful platform uh, yeah. for education for all the people. And for all of our viewers, I look forward to another week on Magical Medical Tour where we will explore another quadrant in the healthcare galaxy. But until that time, thank you very much, Shiroko. And to everyone else, I wish you all optimal health. <laughs> Thank you so much, Shiroko, for honoring us here on Magical Medical Tour. It's been a blast. I've been bouncing. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you, Dr. Glenn Woolman, for another great show. Uh, Segovia Smith and the Yoga Hub team for making this all possible. And of course, to each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're always grateful for your continuous support, and we look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. You can connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman by following him on his website at glennwoolman.com, where I encourage you to learn about his metaphor square breath to help you through the day and your journey. And you can also connect with our special guest, Shiroko Sokich, at hthmc.com, hthmc.com. And that stands for Heart to Heart Medical Center.
And again, we are grateful for your feedback and suggestions and comments. Please give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Until next time, namaste. Kabir, I have a question. What is oil pulling? Oh, well, you um, after rinsing the cleansing the tongue, then gargle with a little salt water, and then um, uh, take about a tablespoon of uh, traditionally sesame oil. If you have a mm. uh, infection, a tooth infection, or or some type of infection, maybe in the mouth, you could use uh, coconut oil, which has more antiviral, antibacterial qualities. But generally, a sesame oil is what's used, um, and you put it in your mouth. 